All right, welcome to the New Yorker Cartoon Caption Contest podcast. I am Vin Coca. With me is Beth Lawler and Paul Nesha. And on part two of today's episode, we will be interviewing New Yorker cover artist Bob Stack. Uh, it's our first time interviewing a cover artist, so it's very interesting to hear that world. So stay tuned for that in part two. But before that, let's jump into the winner of Contest 800, the invisible baseball player. And the winner turned out to be now they'll never know who's on first, uh, which was personally my personal favorite. But I think we all agreed these were all pretty good. So probably no surprise one way or the other on the winner for this one. You both agree? Yeah. 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 They're all decent ones. Uh, mm-hmm. It's once. Well, it's, I was in, interested in the order of this. It completely messed up my system for where people are placed in the finals. Uh the third spot moved first. Uh, it it all changed around. So a rare case where everything changed from where they were in the finals. Yes. So um, that was that was just interesting for me. I'm a data wonk, so I just thought <laughs> it was interesting. How about Paul? Did you ever reach out about his original caption? Uh yes. Uh hmm. His contribution to the team is intangible. His contribution to the team is intangible. Yes, that um, was his caption. Which is pretty good uh, as a caption contest entry, but would not be good, I don't think, as a standalone New Yorker cartoon. So, as usual, not surprised yeah, they chose yeah, the caption. More. Yeah. But if it were a finalist, I don't think it would be a terrible finalist. It's a pretty decent caption. No, it's... It's, it's a good use of the image. So, yeah, it's a decent cartoon contest caption, yeah. but probably not, not like for typical New Yorker. All right, let's jump into finalists uh, for this week. Contest 802, the man delivering pizza to the workers on a skyscraper here. And the finalists were, this pizza's on me. If you never, If you never order from us again, actually, I'd rather you not tip. And we usually don't deliver above 82nd Street. Beth, what was your take on, on these finalists? Um, I don't have a problem with these finalists. I think they're they're pretty good. Um, I was expecting and, and predicted that the we usually don't deliver above 82nd Street um, would be a finalist. I think that one's really good. Yeah, I, uh, I don't think these are the best three they could have chosen. Yeah, I do think we usually don't deliver above 82nd Street was the best caption that I saw. So I actually think they did choose the best caption. I think we don't deliver above 82nd Street is probably the best caption that was submitted. I don't know that the other two are. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I, there were so many um, captions submitted with the word tip in it that I mean, I guess the cat the cartoon is just kind of crying out for that but i really liked the caption that was i prefer the word gratuity so much better than actually i'd rather not i'd rather you not tip me because the caption that stated i prefer the word gratuity just alluded to the word tip without actually using the word tip and i think that was so much smarter and so much funnier much better crafted then actually I'd rather you not tip me. So I was a little, I was a little disappointed because that caption, the gratuity caption was trending 
And, and I was thinking that that one would have been chosen as a finalist over one with the actual word tip in it. Yeah, I agree. For what it's worth, about 15% of entries had the word tip in it. Mm-hmm. So I like your point. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, just, it was just so obvious, you know, it was just, yes. it's, I'm not surprised that it was chosen, but I think the one that alluded to it rather than actually saying it was better. Yeah. I, I think um, originality, they should factor that in. And when a yeah. caption is as obvious as the tip caption, where 15% of people mm-hmm. had that same exact idea. Right. I tend to think just for you know, the sake of originality, they shouldn't choose it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's gone beyond low hanging fruit there. It's, it's fruit that's fallen off the tree and it's starting to rot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just way too common. It's I'm not surprised they pick it, but I mm-hmm. am disappointed they picked it. Yes. So, yeah, it's that one. It's like, oh, yeah, dang. Yeah. Uh, I did like the, uh, we usually don't deliver above 82nd Street. That's great. That's that's mm-hmm. a great caption there. That's yeah. a definite winner for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, the pizza, this pizza's on me if you never order from us again. I, I just don't find that funny. Mm-hmm. It's just him saying, you know, don't order from us again. Right. You know? It's like very very minimal humor in that yeah. one. I, there was one with the same kind of idea, but I, well, maybe it isn't even the same kind of idea, but I thought it was better than that one. It was, uh, they said this would be my last delivery. I think yeah, that's I, funnier. Yeah, you that know? one's funnier. Mm-hmm. It kind of has a double meaning mm-hmm. um, and, and it's the same kind of thing. Don't order us from us again. And this is my last delivery. But it's also his last delivery because he may fall down and yeah. and die, yeah. you know. So yeah. I think that that's that's funnier. So yeah, I mean, the I I just thought they were okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were so many good ones for this one. Mm-hmm. We've been saying it a lot lately, which I guess is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a lot of fairly easy ones lately. This was another easy one, and. Uh, these are all pretty good captions. They would have had a very hard time to choose bad captions. I mean, there were just so many good ones, uh, mm-hmm. similar to the invisible baseball player. That, yeah. you know, they, they, they had probably 50 plus good captions they could have chosen from. Yeah. So I think these are pretty good. Uh, I don't know that they're the best three, but as we said, I do think we usually don't deliver above 82nd street is probably the best. I'll be shocked if that doesn't win. That'll, yeah. that'll be, that'll be a shock. Yeah. yeah. And it's in the third place spot, so it has that to overcome. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it doesn't have much competition, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? If fifteen percent of the people submitted a uh, caption with the word "tip" in it, that means a yeah. lot of people are going to be voting for that. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, I think right. I think it, that could end up being the winner. Ooh, yeah, you're right. Uh, mm-hmm. That that would be disappointing. That would be disappointing. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and uh, we have Ellis Rosen coming on, right? I think in uh, two yeah. weeks, two weeks or so, or three weeks, we'll have Ellis Rosen. We'll yeah. uh, get his original caption. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. to him about it. And I, I just have to say again that that drawing is just spectacular. The mm-hmm. the drawing of the guys on the uh, on the girders. It's, Definitely it's very amazing. very. Wonderful. It's amazing. So, because they, they look so old timey, you know, yeah. sitting up there, yeah, it's, going perfectly. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's amazing. All right. We're pretty much in agreement with these. 
How about we jump on to the current contest, contest 804, which is a man crawling up to his wife and he has his dog on his back and his dog has the cat on his back and the cat has the goldfish on his back. Uh, <laughs> this is yet another PC Bay cartoon cartoon. Um, Emma Allen must love PC Bay, as do I. I love PC yes. Bay as well. <laughs> but as we say, every time he's in the contest, he is every fifth caption contest is PC Bay. Uh, she just loves his stuff for the for the caption contest mm-hmm. and the magazine. He actually has a cartoon in the magazine this week as well, in addition yeah. to the contest. So, uh, and his, his cartoon in the magazine this week is so funny. Yeah, it's a good one. So it's- funny. Bringing, bringing takeout, takeout menus in a picnic basket to yeah. a picnic. Yeah, it's funny because I can see people doing that. <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, my God, I love it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know for a fact that he's had the most caption contest cartoons, but uh, I would say very confidently that he does. He's definitely up there. Yeah. He, he's I, I can't that. imagine who could, who could have more than him. He truly is. Every fifth contest is, is PC. Mm-hmm. Him and Drew, Drew Dernovich, I think, are the two. Drew has a lot, but I would think PC Bay got him and got him yeah. pretty handy. Mm-hmm. Having said that, uh, Paul, what's your take on on this one? It's it's a fun cartoon. I, I love PC Bay. Uh, having a little problem with this one though, just because I I want to do something that's out of left field, and that's hard to do. I can't force it. It just has to, you know come to me out of nowhere. So I have to wait for it to show up. Yeah. This one certainly isn't as easy as uh, the recent toy car. Well, as we just said, the, uh, the, the guys on the skyscraper yeah. or the invisible mm-hmm. baseball player. Right. Now There's we're in the obvious level. here right off. There's mm-hmm. nothing that you go, ah, this is it. It's like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, while I'm trying to figure out what to do with this, here's what I came up with. Uh, there's a caption I've been using on Beth's Facebook page. Whenever I can't think of a caption, I use this one just because it's my universe, my new universal caption. It's a good uh, one. <laughs> my life, my life is a series of unfortunate decisions. <laughs> I haven't heard you say that actually, or at least I don't think I have. Yeah, it's, it works it's, with everything. <laughs> it works with pretty much every cartoon. It's a universal one where there's something screwy happening and where somebody's doing something weird. That's what I throw in there. Uh, I have a reasonable ex- explanation. This isn't what it looks like. So kind of a theme there, you know, something odd happening. I'm just commenting on something odd uh, and something odd about to happen. The aristocrats. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what the aristocrats are, you will, you will understand. I do. That. I don't know that everyone does, but I do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say what it is because I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll go there at the end here. Uh, if anyone's going to look that up, look up the Gilbert Gottfried version. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> be prepared to be offended. <laughs> Laugh your butt off, but be offended how you do it. Uh, uh, let's see. I didn't want to ask like this, but will you marry me? And finally, because a gerbil would have been weird. I they won't, but I hope they do. <laughs> there are going to be a lot. Um, I just hope they choose, but I I I I know they won't, but I really hope they do. <laughs> a 
gerbil involved in the caption? <laughs> the way he's I sitting. I don't think they're going to go there. I know they won't, but I it would it would amuse me a lot to see them do it. There will be many crowdsourcing high, though. I'm certain of that. <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm imagining this will be one of your uh, late in the week entries. Oh, yeah. it's it, it, Well, it depends on when it hits me. It's like it's going to come at odd time of the day or something when you know maybe i'm doing something with my wife or something and all of a sudden that's mm-hmm. it you know mm-hmm. but it's it's a case where i don't know it, until it happens i don't know how about you beth i already submitted mine and i'm not really happy with it but um but anyway i came up with a couple very few ideas before i submitted um i also like paul had a marriage proposal one um, and it was, uh, will you marry us? Um, And I was thinking of it as, you know, he's asking, he's asking the woman to marry him as a package deal with all of his pets. So they're all on their hands and knees pretty much um, asking her to marry them. But then it struck me that that caption almost looked like he would be asking her to be the officiant at a wedding for him and his pets. So it was a little too confusing. And I was like, ah, I don't like that. I'm I'm gonna throw that one out. Um, or maybe I was just overthinking it. But either way. It certainly has the two meanings. Yeah. Either way, I just really didn't like it. So I threw it out. So then my next idea was who are you calling unstable? With unstable meaning a with a double meaning mm-hmm. as you know he's mentally yeah. unstable <laughs> and and some of the pets are unstable um but i didn't really love that one either and i ended up submitting uh we need a new bird <laughs> which is so dumb but it was just it, it just struck me kind of as funny in the moment before mm-hmm. i submitted it that it was it was funny to think that he also had a bird on that tower of pets and the bird just like took off. Um, so, <laughs> so it struck me funny in that moment. So I submitted that, but I really don't really love it. But then I came up with another one. And so I, I'm submit, I submitted it under my husband's name. My If it gets anywhere, my husband's getting credit for my work. Right, <laughs> So I submitted, stop me if you've heard this one. Which I like a lot. That's actually very good. Yeah. Much better than the bird one. Yes. Much better than the bird one, which which I think that will do well. Mm -hmm. Which which teaches me a lesson that I really should not. Always wait the gun. There is absolutely no benefit to submitting early. Yeah. I always think to myself, you know, I've racked my brain. I'm tired of thinking of it. I'm tired of thinking about it. I just want to submit and get it over with. I'm not going to think of anything better because I haven't yet. And then I submit it. And then like the next day, I'll just be like sitting there and, and a better one will come into my head. And I almost think it's because I've stopped thinking about it. You know, like I've, I've, Mm -hmm. the pressure is off. I submitted. So I'm like, okay, you know, my brain opened up and then I think, stop me if you heard this one, which I, I think is so much better, but yeah. uh, <laughs> so anyway, my husband will get the credit for that one. If it gets anywhere, <laughs> I, I'm going to 
I'm going to predict that will actually do well in crowdsourcing. Yeah, I just have to tell them. <laughs> uh, either way. <laughs> I like to predict entries, too, because I think it's a good gauge on how hard or easy the cartoon is. So I'm going to make a prediction that this will have under 5,500. In yeah. comparison, the toy car had about 8,000 or mm -hmm. close to 7,500 and 8,000. I'm going to say this will have under 5,500. Yeah. Probably yeah. over 5,000, but just over 5,000. This will have mm -hmm. like a 51, 5,200 because this is pretty hard. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, hard, but it. But it's so funny. Like when you look at that drawing, you're like, oh my God, that's funny. Like yeah. you just really want to come up with something great because the drawing is and it's, amazing. It, and it's very original material. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's original material. Yeah. yeah. And I just love that he put like little um, motion lines on the, the, around the cat, like the cat is wobbling and the fish is wobbling. Like it's just so perfect. It's so perfect. And the look on the dog's face. Yeah, like it's right. just, it's just amazing. I love it. Well, here, here's for your bird one. I just thought of this, you know, just some basic, like the bird was uncooperative. <laughs> you know, why the bird isn't there. Yeah, yeah. that's he good. He used to be involved in this. <laughs> that's actually a good way to do a bird caption. Yeah. yeah. Uh, somebody, somebody in the Facebook group wrote, wrote uh, flip me the bird. <laughs> Okay. Not going to be picked or anything, but good. Right, right. <laughs> it was just funny. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, because, you know, you try to bring an element in that is not mm -hmm. in the drawing. Yeah. And what's not in that drawing is a bird. So, the, you know. Fourth animal. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, how many other domesticated pets are there? You know. Gerbils. 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 <laughs> the gerbil could be hitting somewhere in this cartoon. <laughs> The gerbil could be there. <laughs> it could be hidden somewhere. Oh my god, that is so awful. The cat may have ate the gerbil. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Peter Vay would never draw something that would allude to that. We'll obviously, find out. I hope his original includes the gerbil. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have two at the moment that I think are decent, actually. Um. One of them says, I'm showing them the hierarchy. Let me get on your back. Because they're kind of in position of hierarchy. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Kind of a joke that the woman runs the household. Right. Yeah. And the other one doesn't address at all why they're on his back, uh, which is a problem. But it says, we're all sick of your dry food. <laughs> yeah. Which is pretty good. Yeah. It's, it, I like it, but you're right. It, it doesn't really apply to this. It yeah, it doesn't it, it's address close, the it's fact close. that they're on his back. Yeah, it doesn't well, address that. It well, they came matter. to have a meeting. They came. That's how they do it to this house. <laughs> that they're sick of her dry food. Um, so I happen like to like that. it. We'll see. I like that one. Yeah. Oh my I, God. I don't I like, like that it doesn't address the heart of the cartoon. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. So. Is there a mother-in-law joke here somewhere, Ben? Is there a mother-in-law? I'm sure joke? there is, but in this case, I'm skipping the mother-in-law and just <laughs> okay. attacking her directly. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny! We're sick of your child. Your mother-in-law has the gerbil. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Stop. Those are my two at the moment. I, I suspect a hierarchy will be fairly common. Oh my God! As a, as a theme, but we'll see. 
but certainly a fun one. Yeah, original, definitely original. Yes, I'm certainly having fun with this one. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me, I posted a cartoon in the um, the Facebook group today that was a, a king wearing a baseball cap, and he's holding like a he's holding like um. Uh, what do they call it? A scepter or something like yeah. a, a long stick yeah, yeah, in his scepter. hand. And somebody made a comment about about that being a, a sex toy of some type, or you know, or are you afraid to use that as a sex toy? And then somebody else commented below that anything could be a sex toy if you're brave enough. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the gerbil, all the gerbil talk made me think of that. <laughs> We're going into the gutter here. Into yeah, I'm going to say five to 10 of cap, five to 10% of captions will have the word gerbil or hamster. I'll go 15 to 20. I'm going to up it. 15 to 20% of captions will have the word gerbil or hamster is my prediction. I'm going on. Right. They will now. They will now. <laughs> Oh my God, poor Peter. He's so innocent. We have to <laughs> stop. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. You're making me cry. <laughs> All right, with that, should we, uh, anything else before we jump into Bob's steak? No, I think we've done enough. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, with that, stay tuned. We'll be right back with our interview with Bob Steak. Well, thanks again for jumping on. We uh, typically have cartoonists on. You're not exactly a cartoonist, at least not in the sense that we usually have them on. But um, we're familiar with your work, particularly your New Yorker cover work. We love it. And uh, so we thought we'd try something different and have you on. And we're uh, very happy that you graciously accepted our invitation. With that accent, you get away with it every time, dude. <laughs> uh, you're in Boston, right? <laughs> Uh, Cape Cod. Cape Cod. That's okay. right on the elbow of uh, Cape Cod. Um, and raised in Massachusetts? No, in Los Angeles. Wow. Ah. Long way to go. Yeah, and probably not as pleasant, at least weather-wise. I'm fine with this. You kidding? I mean, it's like uh, uh, I grew up my entire life uh, with 75-degree weather and... Uh, I had no idea what winter was or fall was or spring was or whatever. And it's like, uh, I'm just kind of like, a, I think back in the background, uh, a uh, Eastern guy. Good. As an Eastern guy, I appreciate that. Um, so we have quite a few questions. And uh, but so they're not as random. If you don't mind with just a quick background on uh, how your career got started. I assume you went to school for illustration, but I'm not positive on that. Uh, well, I had a very unusual educational background for an illustrator. Um, I had a full scholarship to USC where I double majored in print journalism and international relations. So I had no art training beyond high school. Um, so I was trained to go ahead and think about news, about 
ideas, thoughts, metaphors, and my phone's ringing like crazy. Um, but that's me. I mean, that's the way, that's a really unusual uh, course for, a, uh, for an illustrator to take, certainly for a children's book illustrator, author to take. Uh, but that's my background. Did you go into journalism after college? Yeah, I left. Uh, I did not graduate USC. I, I went for three years. Uh, and when I came out, my girlfriend was a, uh, she was a, uh, uh, um, an actress and a journalist. And she graduated from uh, USC and, uh, uh, we had to decide where we'd move in South Bay in Los Angeles. And I said, well, I grew up in the South Bay. There's a great place here we can move in uh, Hermosa Beach. And uh, so we did that. And so did you start as a writer of the books before Illustrator, considering you didn't really have an illustration background? No, I really had an illustration background. I mean, in Los Angeles, Growing up, um, I didn't have to do much in terms of promotion or anything. It's like, you know, uh, I mean, my first job, my first job in 1976, I got a, a phone call from the National Football League saying, uh, uh, would you like to go ahead and do a four-page illustration for uh, the uh, NFL programs? And I said, yeah, sure. And being stupid, I said, how do you know about me? And, uh, and uh, this illustrator had had said, you know, I've seen this guy's cartoons in the local paper, I assume he's like a really, you know, accomplished cartoonist, whatever. I was a 16 year old kid. What do I know? Uh, and so I met with uh, the publishers at National Football League, and uh, they should have said, you know, you're a kid. You're out of here, okay? Here's your complimentary Rams poster, you know? And uh, instead, that was my first job. I got $400 to do four color illustrations back then as a kid. I was like a 17-year-old kid. That was a big bunch of money for a kid. Yeah. And so I, said, I guess you were, I'm game. I'm I'm here. You were a published cartoonist at the age of 16? Yeah. Oh no. gosh. Oh gosh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it was just like uh I mean, uh I I I just always, you know, I mean, I was always publishing at a very very young age. Um I lucked out. What kind of cartoons? Were they single panel or story cartoons? It was everything. It was like, uh, I remember, uh, I don't think you, you would remember, uh, there was a group, uh, there was a group called the Federated, the Federated Group. Uh, it was like Best Buy or something like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they would have these catalogs. Okay. With all these drawings of like, uh, you know, VCRs and TVs and stuff like that. And they, they'd hire me to sit in a room and draw that stuff. 
at like 16, you know? And I remember, I remember, I remember one time, and these were big time illustrators. There was a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a, uh, um, an ad agency on Wilshire called Seiniger and Associates. And, uh, and they were the guys who did all the movie posters. I mean, like Star Wars and, you know, uh, Jaws and stuff like that. They did all of them. And they would get all these artists together in a room. And you would have to go ahead and draw all these, what were call, called comps, major sketches, okay, for these movies. I was a 16-year-old kid doing this wow. stuff. I mean, I'm sitting there next to, like, Drew Struzan, who did the, you know, you've seen his stuff and, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and, you know, Star Wars and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, I, I go, what am I doing here? I have no idea. But, How- that's, being, but that's being in Los Angeles. Okay. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen if you're in Detroit. I was going to ask, how did, how is it that they found you as a 16 year old kid? I mean, once you were, you, you already had done the job for the football league yeah. but then is that what springboarded you into these other genre you know other companies looking for you at hiring you to do this at that age that, I, that that's a great question and i wish i knew the answer i mean i have no clue it's like you know in los angeles for some reason you know uh there was a real big word of mouth back in 70s you know it's mm-hmm. like you know there's this guy who knows how to draw Okay. I mean, forget the fact that I'm like a 16 year old kid. I know nothing. Okay. But somehow, I mean, it always amazed me that when I showed up for the job, they'd say, you're a 16 year old kid. What are you you doing here? I said, well, you asked me if I can draw, you know, were were you always drawing like that or was it you just developed this through classes in school or how did that come out? How did that come to be? Well, I always drew as a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I was always, uh, I, I mean, my big, my big thing is, uh, uh, is, it's about looking. Okay. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I was a looker. Okay. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, I mean, I looked, I, I was curious. I always watched mm-hmm. and, uh, I had a brother who was a uh, uh, who was uh, impaired, and uh, so I had to be left alone mm-hmm. in many ways. And uh, I had to teach myself to find ways to uh, to cope. And uh, I read, mm-hmm. and I listened to albums, and uh, I looked out the window, and I, I drew, and I watched TV, and. Um, I did all these things that most parents consider frivolous activities. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you right now, uh, I've built a career on the ability to go ahead and look and see. Right. And, and, I, and I've always felt that uh, many, uh, many parents who, uh, Many parents don't understand the value in looking. Mm-hmm. They, they, they consider it, they consider it lesser to reading. You know, reading is like, that's important. 
but right. looking is not so so what what were you looking at then is there <laughs> Oh, gosh. I mean, I can tell you right now. I mean, I never knew it then. But the thing is, I was looking at white space. I would look at I would look at like an ad in The New Yorker with uh, and I have no effing clue what the hell I was looking at. But I would see like I would see white space and I think, how's that? How is that possible? How is that? Why? Why is that there? There's an ad right here with like a illustration over here and text over here and there's all this white space what is going on and i didn't really understand you know but somehow i had an affinity with that and i understood that it meant something mm -hmm. i was never taught that in school i mean i really kind of had to understand that i mean i when i was a kid i would look at like copies of life magazine and mm -hmm. i would look at the the covers and the mm -hmm. classic Life magazine cover, right? And in the upper left, there would be that red mm -hmm. you know, triangular box, mm -hmm. that gorgeous L I F E right there. Mm -hmm. And then, a, and then a grayscale photo and like mm -hmm. a little caption right there. And it was just like, there's nothing going on here, but there's a lot going on here. Mm -hmm. And you're not really taught that as a kid. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, I took it on my own to understand what that meant. Yeah. See, I think it, 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 there, there has to be some kind of innate talent there um, that doing that just brought that out in you because I grew up reading those magazines, looking at those magazines, reading highlights, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know doodling, reading Dr. Seuss books, and I don't have that talent. But I think it's amazing. I, I feel like I, I compare it almost sometimes to um, the ability for some people to write songs. You know, like, how is it that a person can just sit down at a piano and just write a song out of nowhere? It just comes to them in their, in their brain. And I feel like that, that talent for art is very similar in certain ways. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've thought about, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between uh, writing a lyric and mm -hmm. a, uh, a children's book that's, you know, written in poem, okay, or, mm -hmm. or not in poem. Um, it's all about metaphor. I mean, that's, at, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. You know, I mean, I, I actually, I was talking to some kids and I said, okay, let's talk about Let's talk about a tree. Mm -hmm. What are the intrinsic values of a tree? Well, a tree has roots. A tree has a stalk. It has branches. It has leaves. What does it do? It sways. It holds its ground. Um, I mean, you can name a thousand different things that a tree does. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to find a, a way to go ahead and express a thought or metaphor based around a tree, if you're savvy and if you have the patience to think about it, you make that happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's not taught in school. That is not taught. Okay. That only comes from a child being curious enough to go ahead and read books mm -hmm. to uh, 
to venture beyond what is taught in school. Okay. Um, I can go on. Yeah. <laughs> How did your, you have a very distinct style um, in your drawings. Uh, how did, did, were your drawings always in that style or did that, was that purposely developed the way you draw your people and? Well, I think it always, you know, I mean, I, I think that your, your, your visual style always evolves. I think that uh, there's no question that uh, when you look at my stuff, you can see, you know, uh, uh, tinges of everything from UPA cartoons to Hanna-Barbera cartoons mm -hmm. to uh, editorial cartoons to comic strips, whatever you name it. But what comes out at the end of the day is some sort of a hybrid that you would you would hope is going to be natural. Okay. And a certain, I was very, very fortunate in that, you know, when, when you're, when you're young and you're publishing very young, you don't have the time to go ahead and emulate whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you're, you're on a deadline and it's like, you know, you've got to draw a guy at a typewriter and you have no time whatsoever to think about how do I draw a guy at the typewriter? Right. Just do it you know right right your your style for let's say the uh washington post is a very fluid style very free you know it's 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 almost liquid the way everything kind of runs together and for your like your uh, new yorker uh covers I, that's more of a geometric mm -hmm. style um is that do you, do you consciously choose one style over a different style or how does that work well, I, you know, I, I mean, I've always, you know, I, I was trained as a journalist. I mean, uh, I, I am savvy enough to understand, not savvy, but, you know, you know, sane enough to understand that, that certain ideas, if you have, <coughs> an illustration is 95% idea, okay? It's 5% drawing, that's it, okay? It is 95% idea. So once you come from that perspective, you understand how best do I go ahead and project this idea? Well, in certain cases, I can be silly and goofy and whatever. In other cases, I have to be very, very, you know, uh, <clears throat> very serious with my art. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, you know, I hate to, I hate to say, you know, I wear a lot of different hats, mm -hmm. but I really do wear a lot of different hats. Mm -hmm. But but it's not conscious. It's just like, you know, I, I understand this cover for the New Yorker requires for me to make this point. I can't I can't be frivolous. I can't be silly. It needs to be a super realistic style that I'm not used to doing but I have to do it to make it work mm -hmm. or I can do for the Washington post or mad magazine, whatever, then I can get silly. Right. So your first cover for the New Yorker that was in 2006, or were you doing them before that prior to that date? Probably about, yeah, probably about that. How did that come to be that, that you started um, submitting covers to the New Yorker? Oh, it's a really weird story because um, uh, 
We like weird, weird stories, so yeah. go ahead. Yeah, well, this is a really unique story. Okay. Um, you would know better than I do, but uh, I played tennis with a uh, illustrator, and he said he had been submitting covers for the New Yorker for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Never got a cover. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's 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 tenacity i mean you know at 19 years it's like you know that's that's tenacity (laughs) and uh and i thought well you know i've never really saw myself as a new yorker cover artist i mean it was kind of naive you know i mean i can't think of another illustrator who's better equipped to be a cover artist for the new yorker and uh i came up with this idea i thought well okay he's submitted these covers for 20 years let me go ahead and submit one right now <laughs> and, they, sure. and i came up with one and uh and they wrote back they said uh we love it we're buying it that's a cover wow and i had to play tennis with him the next day and <laughs> oh, and they, no. they sent me the proof via fedex and i didn't want him to see it you know, in print, I, 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 I said, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you the truth. You know, it's <laughs> like, you know uh, I submitted a cover and, you know, here's the proof of it. And he just, uh, just looked at it and just said, you fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, gosh. oh, yeah. And I, felt ter- I felt terrible about it, but the thing is, it, you know, whatever. Oh, the wow. thing is that cup, co- that cover they bought the cover. They paid mm-hmm. for the cover. It was a summer cover, um, and it never ran. Mm-hmm. But but the thing is, they understood that I was the guy who um, an idea guy. Okay, mm-hmm. that that was not you know I would not just simply do a decorative cover. Um, that I would be the guy who would do thought covers. So. Mm-hmm. So, so how did you, how did you come up with an idea that you thought would be saleable for them at that time? Well, that cover alone, I mean, it was just such a, uh, such a silly idea. Uh, it was just like, uh, it was a parody of, there's a famous, it was a metaphor. It was, a, mm-hmm. there was a famous uh, uh, poster by a French poster artist named A.M. Cassandra. Uh, of the SS Normandy, this big ship, mm-hmm. and uh, coming right at you. And so I decided to take the ship and turn it into a mansion with little houses on the beach. Mm-hmm. And it was called the SS uh, Beach Cottage. Okay. I mean, it was a metaphor. Right. You know, it was right. like that's existing on a previous image mm-hmm. um, so you just never know where where it comes from and then and then once you sold that first cover you just decided you were going to keep submitting or did they come back and ask you to do more or what happened after yeah, that? a combination of both combination of both mm-hmm. i mean i think that what happened with me was uh uh they understood that i was uh they, I, I think they probably understood, well, from what I hear, uh, that, you know, I was quick. I was a quick thinker. Um, 
and uh, and prolific. And I came from a journalistic background. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I understand. And that's everything in, mm -hmm. in print journalism, whether you're a newspaper, a magazine, a monthly, whatever. That's everything. I mean, my peers understand they are art students. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they come up with an idea. And if that idea does not get published, they go into a complete hissy fit. Mm -hmm. That's not what journalism is. Okay. I come up with 12 different ideas. And if it doesn't work, it's like, fine, I'll fight tomorrow, the new, uh, the big fight tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So do you ever, um, if they reject a cover, do you ever take it back and, and redraw it and resubmit the same kind of idea? Or do you think, well, they rejected that idea. I'm, I'm done with that one. I'm moving on. Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, it's really, really rare that I go ahead because the thing is a New Yorker cover really has a shelf life of like mm -hmm. a week. Okay. So the thing is, for me to go ahead and resubmit mm -hmm. and I I mean a good idea today if it doesn't fly it doesn't fly right if I resubmit quote unquote resubmit it six weeks later mm -hmm. you know it doesn't work yeah I don't think right and I don't go ahead I don't take there are people who take New Yorker card uh, New Yorker covers that are rejected and they go to other magazines and try and place them or do successfully place them, I will never do that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, they are largely topical too. I mean, your your Purple Rain cover is just completely iconic and your Ruth Bader Ginsburg cover for you know two examples of just completely iconic um, covers did they did they reach out to you to submit those covers or did you just see you know prince has just passed away i i have an idea for a cover i should throw it into the mix how, how did that come no out? I, th I i think with that prince cover i think with the prince cover um it's just basically basically a purple background mm -hmm. with purple rain coming rain. down that's mm -hmm. it um they came to everybody and said, uh, you know, we want a, a Prince cover. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I love Prince, but a cover? Okay, fine. Um, and within like 15 minutes, they said, uh, that's a cover. Uh, mm -hmm. With the uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg cover, uh, where, she, where you just see a black and white image of her jabot, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, her collar right there. Mm -hmm. You look closely, you realize it's all these uh, international symbols for the female. For women. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. That, that, that was a, well, that was a cover where the moment I heard the news, I, I saw the news and I was just broken up. And I told my wife, I said, uh, I said, I think I have an idea. Let me take a walk. And I came back 15 minutes later. And I did the cover and I submitted the cover and I said, that's the cover. And uh, I didn't hear anything for like, you know, five days because it takes a while for the story to really percolate and figure out where the hell we are. Right. Right. And, uh, and they said, okay, that's the cover. And, and 
And David and Francois uh, both told me after the fact, they said, we knew the moment we saw that it was, it couldn't be better, mm-hmm. okay? but we had to wait. So you never really know, you know, right. and it's like, and that's one of those covers where I thought, oh God, it's such a, it's such an obvious, obvious cover. This had to have been done 8,000 times. And mm-hmm. I was amazed to not find it. Right. Well, I remember receiving those magazines in, in the mail and just looking at them and they, they practically bring tears. They do bring tears to your eyes, both of them. Um, they just, they're so simple, but yet they elicit such an emotional reaction, both of them. It's just absolutely amazing. Stunning. Well, it's amazing when a piece of art can do that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, but the thing is, what's what's amazing to me as an artist is like what you're saying right there. Um, I mean, Beth, mm-hmm. were it not for you, were it not for you, that cover would not live. Okay, mm-hmm. were it not for you having your background and your understanding of the events preceding that image, mm-hmm. it would never work. Okay, so I mean, for me, it's a democratization of an image. My image of uh, uh, Obama's um, uh, victory, the uh, uh, reflection. reflection cover, mm-hmm. right? Reflection with the Lincoln Memorial, the O in the New Yorker, and the reflection and the bars of slavery. slavery. Mm-hmm. The reason that's the best-selling New Yorker cover of all time is because there are a lot of smart New Yorker cover readers who mm-hmm. look at that and they say, "Oh my God." That's great. That's yeah. really, but it's only because they've got the mind. They've got the mind. They got. They understand. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, if I if I deal with a public that are idiots and morons, that doesn't work. Right. Right. So that I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. You said a moment ago that they reach out to everybody about like a topic that they want. Right. Who's everybody? How big is the uh, New Yorker cover world. I don't know. I really don't know. I oh, really all don't. you know is they reached out to you. I really don't know. And the thing is, and and I I gotta I gotta tell you right now, Vin. I mean, the thing is, I've worked in this business so long not to ask questions. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I really don't give a rat's ass about how many people they ask. Mm-hmm. I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't. I don't want to know. It could be, you know, 200 people. It could be eight people, whatever. Okay. Mm. All I can do is what I do. Okay. So, but the thing is, there are other illustrators out there who came from a different educational background who they really want to know, you know, Mm. they really want to know, okay. How many people are you going to with this, you know, with this idea for this, uh, cover here it's like you know it's like what are you what are you talking about it's like you know you know you want to know if you're going against uh you know Joe Blow or Michael Jordan here it's like you know yeah. put up your best game okay I mean you're that's that's your job um so so that's what I've always done I don't ask questions I just do my job so there isn't a community of New Yorker cover artists like there is a community of um New Yorker cartoonists? Well, of course there is. But mm-hmm. the thing is, I mean, you know, 
we're all fans of one another. You know, we all support one another. We all know that, I mean, there are times when, I mean, the public doesn't understand what goes on in the background of a New Yorker cover, okay? I mean, you would not believe how many covers I have worked on in the background that have never seen print. Right. That's journalism, okay? But at the end of the day, if, if my cover doesn't make it, I sit there and I think, did Barry get it? <laughs> did Peter DeSev get it? Did Christoph get it? You know, and they're all sitting there thinking the same thing too. Right. Did Bob get it? Did Barry get it? Blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, it's one, one person's getting that cover. Right. You know? When you submit a cover, do you submit the whole, with the words, the New Yorker? Uh, everything? In other words, the color that they're going to write the New Yorker in? Sometimes they block part of the New Yorker. Is that all the cover artist's decision? You mean as far as a masthead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, where it says actually the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the New Yorker masthead is a integral part of the cover. I always have, okay? And I think that, uh, I mean, there are images that I can come up with and I can t- extract the, the masthead and you'll look at it and say, wow, that's really, really profound. But when you toss on that New Yorker masthead, you go, oh, that's really, really great, you know, mm. because that masthead carries so much weight behind it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I'll be honest, when I design as a designer, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about, you know, where's the strap going to be? The strap is the, uh, the line on the left, mm-hmm. the font on the top, the date. The price. Where's the uh, where's the uh, uh, little uh, uh, shipping code going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, I think about all that stuff, and uh, you know, I try and create an image that calls all of that into consideration. Yeah, I loved how you did when you did the um, the Trump uh, wall. Um, New Yorker cover the the wall. I'm I'm assuming that's what it is the Trump wall. Um, it's like a brick wall built up. The whole cover is a brick wall till you get to the top where it says the New Yorker, but part of the words of the masthead are covered. Right, like this wall is just blocking almost everything, and it just makes that makes a huge impact to have those bricks covering part of the masthead. If you hadn't done that, it wouldn't have the same effect that it had by doing that. You're you're totally right. You're Mm -hmm. totally right. Had you not obscured part of the masthead, Mm -hmm. it would mean nothing. Right. Right. I mean, it's basically what, what it basically said for me. And I don't know if David Mm -hmm. felt the same way, but uh, this usurping of, uh, of thought, intellect, Mm -hmm. uh, thoughtfulness, that would be part of 
the America that we want, right? Mm. Being covered up by this dickwad who's just, you know, happy to obscure uh, the entire country. That's the way I looked at it. Yeah. I was amazed that cover got selected. It's like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm known as a guy who did the Obama victory cover and the Trump victory cover. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I cannot tell you the way I feel about those covers are so completely different. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I'm so proud of the first one. The last one was just like a throwaway to mm-hmm. me. Well, yeah, it's it it was a you know a bad thing that happened <laughs> with Trump being elected, but that the way that you projected that is just so profound. It's so simple, but yet so profound. It's nice I, for you to say it's nice for you to say that, but I I did I never thought of it as profound in the least. I mean, right. I I found it just like you know it's like. It's like we have to come up with a cover here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, nothing, there was nothing to me, nothing profound about it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it, it was, I mean, a good New Yorker cover looks at, has a shelf life of a week. Mm-hmm. It also require again, it requires your, your reader to look at the image and say, there's a clue here. There's a clue here. Let me suss it out. Let me figure it mm-hmm. out. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I get it. Okay. That's a great New Yorker cover. Mm-hmm. That Trump cover, it was, it was very, I mean, in, in many ways, it was totally Trump. It's like, you know, it's in your face. Mm-hmm. It's a brick wall. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about the process here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you're you're infamous for your process, I think, uh, because you work in Photoshop, but a really specific program in Photoshop. You know, I mean, it's is it is it still Photoshop three? Photoshop three. I I know exactly. I mean, I, I you can see from from the beard and stuff. I'm old, but you know, you would think I'm. This is not like 1800s old. <laughs> <laughs> but that's when Photoshop three was invented, eighteen twenty-five. <laughs> Back when it was steam powered. Well, you know, it's like you know, you would see me here with my steampunk outfit normally, but <laughs> no, I, 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 I was a office manager at a graphic design firm in the nineties, and I remember, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator. And please tell me you don't use Quark, just. Please tell me you don't use Quark. I, 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 I've never used Quark. I mean, good, good. I mean, you know, it's like I've never had a Quadra, uh, but okay. Well, it, what what do you use? You draw with pencil on on paper, and then do you scan it and then add uh, color with a computer? Or yeah, what, what, what? What I basically do. I mean, the thing is. Uh, uh, it just doesn't matter to me what I draw with, um, you know, I'll draw <clears throat> with a pencil, with a pen, mm-hmm. a brush, whatever, to get across an idea. Uh, I mean, I can show you, let's see. Um, then what I do is I import the drawing 
I scanned the drawing and then I, uh, this is, this is, uh, this is a real rough thumbnail for, for the New Yorker. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that's about as rough mm -hmm. as yeah, I can yeah. get. Okay. Is that Putin? Putin sitting at okay. the mm -hmm. long table. Right. Which is tough because the thing is, you know, that's a tape. Mm -hmm. That's a table right there. And of course, with a portrait, you know, with right. the New Yorker, you have oh, to yeah. like that. So that's, that's always a problem. Uh, but what I do then is, um, okay, if there's interest in that idea, they may ask me to go ahead and, uh, you know, go to, go to a deeper sketch or go to a color sketch or whatever. And at that point, you know, I, I do a combination of uh, uh, brushes on pieces of paper and charcoal and crayons and uh, twigs. And I mean, it doesn't really matter what, you know, it, it's just, I was always trained. I mean, I trained as a journalist. I never gave a rat's ass about a piece of really nice looking art, okay? I mean, my idea was my job is to go ahead and create an image that looks really great in like millions of papers as opposed to one image right there. So whatever it takes to get to that point. So I found on your on your uh, Twitter page some really great single panel cartoons. Um, do you ever submit cartoons to the New Yorker? Have you ever thought about doing that, or that's just not something you I, want to I, do? I, I have. I have. I mean, you know, I've kind of toyed with that, you know, now and then, and uh, I don't think they like my cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, it's like, you know, it's like we could have worse problems, you know, they like you as a cover artist, but you know, they just don't really. And, and I have a lot to say with my gag cartoons. Um, I'm always so amazed with, uh, with cartoonists who um, particularly New Yorker cover, uh, New Yorker cartoonists who have a real point of view. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, Charles Adams, you know, macabre, right? Mm -hmm. Peter Arno, you know, the swells, <laughs> right? Um, you name it. I mean, they, they've got their niche, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, Barsati, the dogs, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I, they're, I'm so schizophrenic that it's like, you know, I could never go ahead. That's the reason I've never done a comic strip. I mean, mm -hmm. the idea of me doing a comic strip about, you know, little Timmy who has a, a beanie and has a little cat as a side friend or whatever. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, that would drive me nuts, you mm -hmm. know? So I'm so impressed with uh, these uh, New Yorker cartoonists who actually can go ahead and develop a character. Mm -hmm. So, so you haven't, you haven't submitted them or you have submitted cartoons to them and they've been rejected? Uh, I, I would say it's a combination of both. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, and it also on top of that, I haven't really taken it seriously. Mm -hmm. um, I think for you to uh, really take it seriously, you, you've got to go ahead and make the commitment. You know, mm -hmm. you've got to be one of those guys, as you know, 
who one of those guys or girls who go ahead and submit, you know, what, 10, 12? 10 every, a week. 10, yeah, mm-hmm. 10, 12 mm-hmm. every Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm. I don't well, do that. I think Emma nowadays doesn't require 10 a week from from the artists. But... She requires probably about 25, right? No, she requires, <laughs> I don't think she has a requirement from what we hear. Is that right, you guys? Yeah, she yeah it seems like take... people submit as low as one or two, two if that's all they yeah. have, whatever they got, mm-hmm. they send over. Yeah. When you were sending them, how are you, did you, considering you're in the New Yorker family, did you kind of have direct access to send them directly to Emma or were you just going to Submittable and just submitting them? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I mean. The, the thing is, France, I remember at one time Francois said, uh, you know, uh, Bob is leaving and uh, uh, Emma's taking over and, uh, you know, she wants to know about, you know, really uh, good cartoonists here. And it's like, you know, I'd like you to go ahead and send cartoons. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, my Washington Post stuff. I've, I've done this weekly illustration for the Washington Post. I mean, I was with Mad Magazine for 30 years or something like that. It's like, you know, that's not really New Yorker stuff. You know, it's like mm-hmm. fine just to keep, you know, okay, Francoise, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. But the thing is, I knew that when Emma saw it, she'd go, this is not us, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but still, uh, as, uh, as they say, I persisted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I'd submit a couple of gag cartoons every now and then. But the thing is, my submissions of, you know, I don't submit. I I don't do it the right way. I mean, you know, I don't submit 10 to 12 or something like that. You know, uh, I don't submit five. I submit one. I say, Emma, what do you think? You know, and and she says, not right. And I, I move on and I'll submit another one four months later, you know. Well, many, if not most, of the cartoonists we have on uh, have aspirations to go to the cover side. So, well, of course they do. Of course they do. And the thing is, and, and they are, and they are totally different worlds. They are yeah. completely different worlds. And to be completely honest, I'm a, I'm sometimes resentful when I see a New Yorker, what we would call a gag cartoonist on the cover because completely different world Mm -hmm. a a cover is about about design a cover is about metaphor a cover is about it's not it's not you know it's it's not a one-liner type proposition Mm -hmm. you know so i always you know i i never i mean George Booth and I love each other like crazy, but the thing is there, there's a lot of times I think that, you know, George is not right for that cover. You know, there's times when I, I've never met, I've thought I wasn't right for a cover. Do you have a favorite cover that's not your own? I can tell you my favorite all time New Yorker cover, uh, my all time favorite New Yorker cartoon. Okay. And this is probably, it's got to be in the 30s. You'll be able to find it. Maybe early 40s. And it's a William Steig cartoon. And it shows a, it shows a man in bed with a woman in a night skirt, a fat woman 
in a night skirt with a hat on and she's sleepwalking, walking across the room. And the husband says, Macy's is closed. <laughs> and to me, it's just the best. It is the absolute best cartoon of all time. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I, 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 that, that's, a, that's a cartoon that I look at and I just think, if I could come, you know, 25% of that, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's brilliant. And timeless, timeless. Totally timeless, <laughs> totally timeless. As, as long as there's a Macy's. Yes, true, true. Yeah, as long as there's a Macy's, that's right. <laughs> Which may not be very well. Oh, change, change, <laughs> change it to Target, fine. Right, right. Uh, it, it, it loses something with Target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it Macy's doesn't. is good. Maybe it doesn't. That's great. I love your signature too that you do on the covers. Uh, what, what, was there a lot of trial and error to come up with how you were going to sign? I mean, it's, it's a very I mean, type. I mean, like high school. It's like you know, I I I was under the belief that you know, it's like you know, I had to have a signature, you know, and it's like you know, I remember Al Hirschfeld's signature, and I thought I love that, you know, really dramatic, you know uppercase, lowercase. And I just thought, you know, it's like, you know, I've been doing that since I was a kid. I mean, geez, it's like, yeah, I'm 64 that I had to be doing that since 1975 or something like that. And the thing is, you get to a point where you think that, you know, you delusionally think that, you know, it, it matters, you know, and uh, so you stick with it, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it does matter. I think the consistency uh, does matter. Maybe I, I you know, I, 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 you know, the thing is, I, I, I think that as a, uh, uh, as an illustrator, as a, a cartoonist, as a writer, I mean, I, you know, I've never taken myself seriously. Um, I understand my place in uh, a pop cultural world where it's very ephemeral and. Uh, um, and I have that, uh, I have a relationship with a reader that is right now, that's it, and fleeting. Different than my children's books, okay? Mm -hmm. Totally different. I mean, I have a completely different relationship with, with readers about my children's books. That goes on and on and on. Uh, but as far as an image in a newspaper or a magazine, um, that's a fleeting thing. That's seven seconds. Seven seconds and you're gone. New Yorker cover, that lasts. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, speaking of children's books, so uh, when when did you get into that, and why why did you decide to try children's books? Uh, you know, I'm 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 one of those really unique illustrators who um, it's really unusual, Paul, to have a a illustrator who has done mad magazine and hallmark cards cartoon network and the washington post new york times new yorker covers and you know little golden books what i mean you cannot get i mean it's, it, it's my, my, career is, my career is such a ping pong you know back and forth um 
but uh, but it's also um, it's been such a schizophrenic career. But that's the way I am. I mean, the thing is, I I mean, that's I get bored real really easily, and um, and I think I started illustrating children's books. Um, and then it just kind of became obvious that, you know, well, he's a writer too, so he should write and illustrate. But I got kind of a late start, but I've done like 75 children's books. Yeah. Just a lot it. for someone who started as late as me. Yeah, and I, I, I buy the children's books, even though my kids are in college and, well, they're all out of college now. And But I, I like the illustrators illustrative style you have uh i bought your last from the past for my son who just graduated from college and he loved that book by the way so he really appreciates uh getting that book um i i love the book i love that you put the map on the back of the cover uh, the dust jacket that that was a nice touch you know i took that off I, i went and put a broad art on it and i took it off and it's like oh that's a nice surprise you got some art behind here (laughs) Well, I, you know, I, I, you know, as a designer, I've always tried to uh, pay attention to those sort of things. I mean, you know, we can use, uh, you know, I mean, I take a lot of pride in my uh, end papers for my books. And I thought, well, let's go ahead and just go ahead and do a poster on the back. So, but those sort of little details, um, I think are nice little Easter eggs for people to discover. And also on top of that, I must thank you for uh, uh, pointing out that, I mean, you know, in, in, I have as many adult fans of my children's books as kids, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I just gave a talk yesterday in, uh, in Stoughton, Massachusetts, and there was like uh, 200 people there. And uh, I, I swear, you know, 150 were adults, you know, so that's nice to see. Well, it, it's the illustrative style, and it's also that you, your writing is very well done. I mean, it's it's limited for children, but it's also perfect for anybody. You know, you you do it well, and it, there's a sense of humor there, but it also has a message in it as well, and it yeah. it just kind of you know hits my sweet spot. Well, nice of you to say, and also you probably noticed the the nods to parents. You know, I mean, you know, the uh, the asides to parents, whether it's a visual nod or a textual nod. Uh, I know what it's like to read books to kids at night. You know, and uh, there's way way too many books that we had to read that we've all had to read. Mm-hmm. We're just like, oh, this is so bad. You know. But if I can find some sort of way to entertain a parent and give them a giggle, um, at the same time, me, understand that, you know, I work in this, you know, little studio here and uh, I got to entertain myself, too. I mean, you know, so. Yeah. If you can sneak something in there, great. You know, I love that kind of stuff. Exactly. That's what I do. Yeah. It's kind of kind of like this book. The path is like the modern day. Oh, the places you will go. I've heard that, that comparison. I, 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 I've heard that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's a very, very broad. Uh, it, it's, um, 
it's a book that um, what I like about doing books these days is creating a uh, a reference point. Mm-hmm. Okay, for a reader, and let me go ahead and give you some hints here. And you look at the book, and you read the book, and you decide what that book is. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's really no different than, you know, a really good New Yorker cover. Okay. I mean, I'll give you some clues here. You suss it out and you decide where you're going to take it. To me, that's a really uh, democratic uh, uh, interaction with a piece of art. And uh, I think it's a magical thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you always been independent? Did you ever work uh, for an ad agency or in the corporate world? No, no. Uh, again, I mean, in Los Angeles, I remember, uh, you know, being called in to do, you know, a lot of studio things, you know, like MGM or Warner Brothers or something like that, where you'd have to be in like, you know, where you'd have to be on site working on whatever. And it's like, you know, I was fired after a day every time, every every time every time every they didn't give a rat's ass how I could draw it's like I just you know it's like I showed up late I didn't want to be there I shouldn't have been there in the first place you made a mistake hiring me I want to get a beer I want to get out of here you know <laughs> It's funny. I don't know how, but in this just brief interaction, I knew I asked because I knew that would be the answer. You know that, right? Like the kind of guy right. That, would, that would work in the corporate environment. Exactly, because Vin has gone ahead and judged me as that guy, <laughs> <laughs> only having heard half the uh, conversation. But, but I, but I was that guy. I was that guy. I mean, the thing is, it's uh, uh, I uh, I never wanted to. Um, I just kind of resented being in a position where it's like, let me do my own stuff. You know, I mean, I don't really want to work for you. Um, I really can't work for you. So I've never really held a job my entire life. (laughs) I mean. Well, you seem to be doing just fine. (laughs) That's what I hear. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, we're, we're on the hour mark here. We typically don't like to keep the guests longer than an hour, like to be respectfully at time. But very appreciative that you were willing to come on. This was a, a nice change for us. I'm happy to talk. You guys were great. Uh, do you have any, I don't know how the cover world goes, but do you have any covers kind of in the bank with them, ready to be revealed, or do they kind of publish them pretty much right after you submit them? Well, there's two, there's two ways, actually three ways the uh, New Yorker works. Um, you know, we're given a list at the end of the, at the beginning of the year, you know, about, you know, here's a calendar, mm-hmm. like Arbor Day, you know, March 25 or something like that, Valentine's Day, special issues, you know, the, the wedding issue. I've had this great wedding issue cover that I've been trying to sell for years and years. And, uh, and David has said, uh, Bob, we're the New Yorker. We're not the, uh, Howard Stern show. 
because it's, le- <laughs> it's a lesbian cover that every time I show it in my slideshow, people go nuts for it, you know. Um, so there's like three different ways to work. You know, you, you work off of the list, you self-generate ideas, or, you know, it's like, you know, something like the bullshit that's going on right now with the shooting, you know, there's probably going to be a, a call for ideas. Um, and you work in different I mean, you can see, you know, three different ways of working, but they require a different point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I was trained to do. And that's what I love doing. And, uh, and it's really a shame that a lot of people don't see, they see my covers, but they don't see all the other covers in the background. Yeah. Well, you can put out a book of rejected covers uh, that I'm sure illustration fans would appreciate. There is a great book called Blown Covers by Francoise Moulet uh, that came out maybe about eight years ago. There's some in there, you know, but the, oh. that's a great, great book. I mean, honestly, uh, I would suggest that. I would suggest this to anyone. Okay. Oh. I mean, it's a, it's a great book. Covers that the that you were never meant to see. Yeah. So yeah. awesome. So that sounds great for that one. Yeah, it's really terrific. You guys would love it. But there's a we're we're talking about a uh, anthology of my work uh, of uh, called Publish and Perish, which is published stuff and stuff that just hit the wall. <laughs> you guys were great. You guys were terrific. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank Thanks you for so coming much. on. Thank you, appreciate Paul. it, Bob. Ben, loved it. Thank okay. you. Okay. Have a good evening. You too.